think we were taking up tithes and offerings there, how much of an opportunity that is and how much I look forward to that. Uh, every Sunday coming around that you get to take the opportunity to say, God, I'm going to put you first, no matter what circumstance look like, to say, just to remind yourself more than anything. It's not that God needs it. It's that, it's that we need it, <laughs> to, to remind ourselves that uh, he's, he's, he's got us. There's, no, there's nothing to worry about. He's got us. doesn't matter what things look like around you. I've, I've been through some crazy times. I'm sure we all have. We've all lived here long enough to know that things go up and down. But uh, all through those crazy times, I've always made an effort to make sure that I put him first in my finances. And I can say firsthand that I've never been let down. Never once. He's always pulled through. David said, uh, never have I seen the righteous forsaken nor their seed begging bread. And that's a part of that. That's a part of that. <laughs> right on. I was looking at these flowers here tonight, too, when I first got up here. <laughs> and <laughs> I was thinking, so, a, a little background story, just off topic. So, my mom was a nurse growing up, worked in the ER, so lots of doctors around. And doctors usually have a fair amount of money they look around spending and spend a lot of it on their houses. So, this one particular one that worked at the hospital with my mom... Lived in Grand Prey, big, huge, beautiful house with 27 gardens on the property. Oh, wow. Loaded up, I mean, all the way around. It's a huge property. And uh, so he asked my mom one time, hey, do you think your boys would be interested in doing a little bit of summer work? So, okay, sounds good. So we get volunteered, I guess, to go and work for very small sums of money for these very wealthy people. <laughs> and uh, so at, 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 uh, we started with when I was 11 years old. He used to come, so every year he'd spread topsoil through all of his gardens, and then he'd spread bark mulch through all of the gardens, every one of them, every year. We would go through three dump truck loads of topsoil and three dump truck loads of bark mulch with wheelbarrows all over the whole property. <laughs> so from a very young age, I guess, I appreciate the fact that there's someone that puts a lot of effort into making those flowers pop up there and take care of them. And uh, I'm more than happy to let James can do that. <laughs> Anytime he needs a garden bed made, I'm there to make the garden bed, but he's got to fill it up. So. <laughs> oh, dear. Anyways, getting back into this part two or full version or whatever you want to call it. Um, extension, there you go. Uh, so God's been speaking to me a lot about, uh, about peace, and we talked about it a little bit on Sunday. But I'd like to, to back it up a little bit before that, about having the peace of God in your heart has a few prerequisites. Um, first one being, uh, I guess we'll, we'll just go to John 3.16, a really common one that we all know quite well. And hopefully lighten this up in a way that's you don't typically look at this scripture. Coming up on Easter here too as well. And uh, one of these prerequisites to having the peace of God ruling in your heart is you have to understand that you're loved by God. If you don't understand that you're loved by God, you don't understand that he's got you in any circumstance. You don't, you don't understand the fact that when everything else is spiraling out of control around you, he still has you in his hand, and he can still pull you through anything. So John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, and whosoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. 
The next one, again, we like to emphasize here as well. For God sent his son not into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So that in knowing that you're loved helps you establish the fact that you've got your heavenly father, that no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, he sent his son Jesus to die, that we would be able to have a hope, a future, and an everlasting life ultimately. So I'd also like to go to John chapter 8 from there. Pretty well going to go through this whole first little bit of this. Start in verse 1. So Jesus went into the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple. And all of the people came, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the middle, they said unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, tempting him, that they might have something to accuse him by. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground, as though he did not even hear them. So when they continued asking him, he lifted himself up and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And when they had heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted himself and saw no one but the woman, he said unto unto her, Woman, where are those your accusers? Has no man condemned you? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. So, part that a lot of people, a lot of us struggle with is condemnation. You can hear from the word that you're loved, that God loves you, send his son to die for you. And sometimes we take that stuff so passively that we don't actually stop to understand or to to let it sink in what that is. Um, But you've got the perfect display of love when God sent his very own son to the cross to put such a high price and a high value in each one of our lives that that was the highest price he could have paid. And like I said in John three seventeen, he didn't come into the world to condemn the world. It looked like when you go through the law of Moses, we're, just, we're reading through the Bible in the year again, and uh, you go through the Old Testament, it's like, man, that's a pile of rules, man. <laughs> like, that's a lot of stuff to try to keep on top of. Like, it's, you know, that's, that's a whole other level right there. And uh, condemnation was so ingrained into them as a result, because they looked at that as, as a set of rules instead of a, a guide to a good life. They didn't realize that all these things were just to help them all out, and they just put it into a, um, a system where they just judged each other constantly, and you were constantly looked at, and you were constantly... I'm sure a lot of them hid all kinds of stuff that they did, just trying to make everything look good on the outside. Jesus talked about the Pharisees in the same way, saying you guys are like whitewashed sepulchers. Inside, you're just full of dead stuff. Outside, you look like you got it all together, but you, you're not even close. And uh, so when you look at that, that story there of the, the woman caught in adultery, she, just as, just as so many of us, we deserve something much more extreme than that. We deserve to have nothing given to us because we, we earn nothing, nothing was 
nothing was owed to us when we were born. But the fact that Jesus came, it changed everything. So in the same manner that she didn't get what she deserved, most of us don't get what we deserve. I'm sure we've all been in places, done things that we wish we hadn't have done. And, uh, you know, we sometimes it takes a while to, to get over the regret behind that. But Jesus looked at someone who deserved to be stoned based by their law, who deserved to be killed. And by pointing out the fact that none of us are perfect, highlighted the fact that there's mercy and grace to allow us to step back up when we've fallen down and, and to move on uncondemned. So if Jesus didn't condemn us, if Jesus didn't condemn her, who are we to condemn ourselves? To hold condemnation to ourselves for stuff that we've done in the past that's been forgiven, that needs to be forgotten, that we can move on. Because without understanding that love, that forgiveness, that eliminates the condemnation, that holds you back from propelling into the things that God has for you, you cannot be at peace. Because you're constantly thinking in the past, you're constantly saying, I'm not good enough. I didn't earn this. I messed up this, 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 and the list goes on. And we, uh, we disqualify ourselves. And it's, it's not God's playing, as he's already qualified us. We are the righteousness of God in Christ. We're identified in Christ. We're not identified by our own righteousness, which <laughs> is an excellent thing. Because uh, we know that our righteousness, the word of God says, our righteousness is but filthy rags, because it, it, it amounted to nothing. It's just a bunch of religious efforts that really just pointed to the fact that we're all screwed up. <laughs> so, um, with Jesus coming on the scene, changing all those old Levitical rules, not, not changing them, but fulfilling them, and pointing us to the end ultimate goal of having mercy and forgiveness through his blood, not through the sacrifice of animals, which was, uh, it's a whole other thing in there. I mean, just, just the stuff that they had to remember alone of when to sacrifice and what to sacrifice and how to do it and who to give it to and then who eats what. And it's just, a, <laughs> it's a pretty convoluted system. Uh, so we get to step away from all of that. And one of the songs we're singing here this evening talked about the veil being torn, that when Jesus died on the cross, that, that barrier that disallowed God from entering inside of each one of us because we, didn't, we weren't worthy because we, we were living in sin, we were born into sin, we had nothing to ultimately atone for us that God couldn't come close enough to us until you had the perfect lamb, Jesus, whose blood was shed, that, that there would not have to be any more shedding of blood for the remission of sins, but that through the acknowledgement and and, uh, and faith in Him, we have that forgiveness whenever we need it. And, uh, and we know that's often, at least for myself anyway, maybe not all you folks out there. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so circling back again, so once, once you've established the fact that you're loved, I mean loved, like there's no love that you could ever see or understand from anywhere else. We don't, I'm sure none of us comprehend the love of God because it, it goes beyond everything that we can understand. But I like to, I like to think about it in, uh, it helped me a lot. Like when I, when I first had kids, when you realize that you want the best for your kids all the time, doesn't mean that they don't mess up. Doesn't mean that they don't get punished or disciplined. 
It doesn't mean that they still don't need correction, but never at any point in time, even in the, their biggest mess-ups, you love them more than anything. And the reason you bring that correction is because you love them, because you don't want to see them go down the wrong path in life. And sometimes, obviously, they don't see it that way at first. But I didn't see it that way at first when I was a kid. Anyway, it took me a while before I caught on to it, too, to <laughs> realizing, oh, this is, this is for my benefit. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's ex exactly. But when you get your own, then Jesus told a parable saying, how many, how many of you, when your, your kid asks for a bread, you give him a stone? And he goes on to elaborate on a few other things and points there. But basically saying, how much more does your heavenly father want to give good gifts to his kids? You're his kids. And so when we understand that God loves us, he's our father. And no matter what we've messed up in, no matter how many times we had to go back and say, yeah, I'm, I messed up again. He still loves us just as much. It doesn't, it doesn't change. And it helped me immensely understand the love of God when I had kids in that respect, because I realized, you know what? I love them. I love my kids no matter what. Maybe this is how my Heavenly Father looks at me. He loves me no matter what. Yeah. He looks out for my best interest no matter what. Whenever I need him, he's there. Yeah. And so that really helped me sink in, in in my own brain that, okay, the love of God has changed me because I now understand this to a whole new level than I did before. And then because of that, again, it's, it established a peace in my life that, uh, that I, I, can't, I can't really explain other than the fact to know that even in the craziest of times, you don't get shaken by anything. Yeah. Stuff doesn't get into you. Stuff happens around you, but it's not in me. And it's, it's been an awesome time watching God work in my life in, in different times and different seasons. And how that inside has still been calm. And so that's, that's kind of where I, was, uh, I felt the most uh, led to talk about there tonight, just because I think there's a, there's a lot of people in the world that obviously that don't understand and don't get to feel that peace that keeps you calm in the middle of the craziest things. And so I guess we talked a little bit there on Sunday again about, you know, all the, all the stuff in the world that's constantly information being thrown at you. Um, you know, we've just gone through a pandemic. Everything you turned on, the media and looked at was fear, 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 fear. And it's, some of it, you know, is, is legitimate. Some of it is not. But the fact that all that they throw at you is fear. At, at any point, you don't turn something on and see any good news. It's okay to understand what's going on in the world. It's okay to see, you know, okay, this is what's happening. But again, you don't let that get inside of you. Amen. You see what's happening. You acknowledge that you've got a God that, again, loves you no matter what. That regardless, again, of what it is, if it's a pandemic, if it's a war, I mean, you've got people over in Ukraine right now in the middle of, uh, you know, something that's crazy. After, after they went through a pandemic, now they've got a war that they're facing. You know, we obviously don't have that to work with and deal with right now here in Canada, and that's awesome. But uh, it's funny how the media just takes, again, right after pandemic, then there's a war, and now that's all you hear about. Yeah. And we've got to make sure that we don't overexpose ourselves yeah. to fear. It, again, like, you know what's going on, but if you, if you catch yourself 
you know, sliding back the slippery slope into fear, where it dominates your thoughts. It dominates your life, basically, as if you let it go too long. And uh, then you talk to people that, you know, again, that, that feed off of fear. Everything they talk about, you go to say, hi, how's it going today? It's, oh, no, no, don't. It's just, just, they start to cower away, and it's just bad thing, bad thing, bad thing, bad thing. It's like, so the sun's shining today. It's a, it's a good day. And like, yeah, but it's raining tomorrow. It's like, all right, all right. I give up. And, uh, but anyway, so I can't imagine living life like that where every moment's just dedicated to what's wrong. And you fail to see God's plan and God's best for your life when all you look at is what's wrong. You, you fail to be thankful. Um, thankfulness takes you a long way. It allows, it allows me in the morning that I get up every single day, and I am so excited to see what's going to happen that day. There's some days, don't get me wrong, you, you know, you're up late or you worked hard the day before, and you're a little, you know, you're a little more reluctant to get out of bed than others. But the fact when, when you get out still, the first thing that comes out of my mouth in the morning is, thank you, God, we have another day. Yeah. I mean, if you look at my alarm clock on my phone, what my alarm's titled is, is, all right, Jesus, let's go for another one. And that's what goes off my alarm clock every day. <laughs> and uh, some, some days you finish the day off, and it was amazing. Other days, it's just like, well, let's try this again tomorrow, man. <laughs> but, but again, don't let the small things get into you, because fear takes small roots, just as any plant. Just like that one started. It's like James knows so well, you start things tiny, and they're so small you can't see them. And you think, okay, you, you stick it in there for a while, the sea goes in, and you know, days pass, sometimes a week or so goes past. No, that, nothing, nothing came out of that. There's, I don't know, doesn't seem like anything went wrong there. Well, maybe I'll plant another one. And next thing you know, you got a bunch of these little shoots coming up. Yeah. Yeah. I take root. And if the thought wasn't taken at the time when they were planted, to say, oh, no, that thought doesn't line up with the Word of God. Yeah. We didn't take the thought captive. We allowed that thought to take hold and then take some of our thought life, some of our time away from us to develop what we thought was harmless at the time until we realized that multiple seeds got planted. And now there's a bit of an issue that we've got to address. And, you know, there's some stuff that can, that can, uh, that can take a while to root out if you, if you have a, a large amount of root system to that. You see, and you're playing a garden, and some of the roots, they got some deep, or some of the weeds got deep roots. And you got to rip it out, and the top just breaks off. And then the next thing you come back, and it's growing again from the roots. And it's like, yeah, okay, maybe I didn't, maybe I didn't dig deep enough for that one. And uh, it's the same thing, but the best time to catch those thoughts is as soon as they become the first thought. And you can't judge those thoughts until you have the Word of God in, in your heart. So that's why David said, you know, I meditate this day and night. I'll make my way prosperous and I'll have good success. Because you meditate the Word. Because the Word goes in, the Word comes out. If you don't have the Word in, then there's, when those thoughts come or when something presents itself in your life that chooses you to, whether it's a child that's, that's not living life the way that you think they should or the way you know they shouldn't, or if it's fear of loss of job, not enough money, whatever the case is, the um, best time to catch those is right at the beginning when you take the word and say, oh, no, 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 that doesn't, that doesn't, sound, like, that doesn't sound like my God. That doesn't sound like the God that I read about that, that has given everything to me that I could ever need to live my life. Because I know the word into each one of those circumstances, and you can answer those thoughts. 
by the word of God, and that's how you take them captive. You throw them out and say, okay, yep, never mind that one then, and you move on. No root's been taken. No peace has been disturbed. On to the next thing in life. And that stops so much trouble at the get-go. Um, so again, we all have been in places where we've allowed fear to take root in our lives to an extent. Then we've got to backtrack a bit. We've got to figure out, let's get rid of this. Where did I go wrong? And it's just as simple as that. It's okay, I, okay that's the thought that I had there. And I, I okay, yeah, I've kind of dwelt on that for a long time. And I, I allowed to think that I didn't have enough money. You know, the bank account was low. And I was like, okay, you know, maybe we're not going to quite make it. And then um, I had a time like that when we were building our house, actually. Where the bank draws were getting kind of kind of lean going through, and I had I, I like to be diligent, making sure things get paid on time. And so I had subtrades in there doing work. I had guys doing tile and painting and things like that. And the, and the banks were taking their good old time, letting those draws go out. And um, I like to I like to build quickly. I don't like to waste my time on things. So a lot of times the bank can't keep up to how fast the building's going. <laughs> so it's a, <laughs> yeah. So anyways, it's kind of frustrating, but. But I had the tile guy in, and he asked me earlier that week, I was supposed to have a draw come in from the bank. And he said, so I'm, I'm, I'll get paid when I'm done. I said, yep, 100%. He says, as soon as you're done, I'll pay you in full. Okay, sounds good. Well, he was getting close to being done his job, and the bank still hadn't sent their money. And the account was quite low going through that. And and uh, so inside my mind, I started thinking, hey, oh, this isn't going to work. I'm going to have to... I'm going to have to tell him that I'm not going to be able to pay him and whatever. And I, I was like, I don't want, don't want to do that, though. And I was like, no, God, I'm, I'm going to trust you. You've got, a, you've got a way to figure this out. And I said, I'll, I'll leave it alone. So I put my phone back in my pocket. I had it out. I was getting ready to text him. I said, nope. I put it back in my pocket. So at this point, I'd already known that the bank was not going to have it done in time because they have to send it to the lawyers who then have to process it, send it to me, then has to go to the account. And there was not enough time left in the week for this to happen. So I said, nope. I stuck it back in my pocket. And uh, so that was, a, that was a Thursday. He was finishing his job up on the Friday, the next day. And uh, I was supposed to meet him there at 9 o'clock that morning, I think. Or no, no lunchtime that day to finish up. And uh, again, that morning, 6.30 in the morning, I was up at the house, and I was like, well, oh, it's Friday. Glory to God. This still don't see how this is going to work out yet. Took my phone out the second time. Had the message all typed up. Yeah, sorry, I'm, I'm not going to be able to pay you on today or whatever. Bank money still didn't come in. And I was like, no, that's, that's not my God. I was like, no, that's not my God. My God's never late. He's always on time. And so I'm, I'm going to be on time. So I, I, I no sooner I deleted the message, stuck it back in my pocket, and then a message came through right after that. The second I put it away the second time, I said, no, God, I'm, I'm going to trust you because I know I can. Message came from somebody. said, uh, hey, you know, whatever you need, if you need some money, let me know. I got, I got you. I got you covered. And I, so it's just, it's, it's funny. And I've, I've been there so many times. And it's amazing to think that I still, when it comes up each time, you think it's not going to work this time. You know, yeah. trusting God's not going to work this time. It's, this one's different for some reason. It's just, it's different. So then you, then you, uh, you know, begin to forget all the times God pulled through for you in the past. I mean, <laughs> you feel like the Israelites going through the desert and for 40 years, you're just like, oh yeah, back around the mountain again. But then you forget what God did that right, you know, right before that. Yeah. And so it uh, serves as a good reminder. And uh, after it happens, I'm like, oh, well, 
Why did I go worrying about that again? Let my peace be disturbed for a few days and kind of stressing over how is this going to work? And so anyway, and it all worked out. Showed up, paid the guy on time. Awesome people that uh, that follow after God's word and uh, and God's leading in the Holy Ghost. Because I didn't go asking anybody. I didn't say a word to anybody. But I'm not going to have enough. I didn't go to my friends. I didn't go to my family and say, oh, I don't know if I'm going to have it. Not a bit of it. I just said, God, you, you've got this. And he always pulls through, every time. So, with, uh, with, with that, I guess we're going to skip over to anxiety a little bit. Because that's a form of fear. That's developed over mostly a long, a long amount of time, again, of, of worrying about so many different details. And it comes back to the, uh, I'm to find some water here. It comes back to that information that uh, I was talking about earlier, that the world throws so much stuff at you. So much stuff at you. Again, there's finances, there's fear of being sick, there's fear of death, there's fear of loss of other people in your life. There's all kinds of things that basically all chalk up to different forms of fear. And when you allow all of them to hit you all at once, you worry about everything all at once, and then it's, oh, I got to do this, I got to do that, I got to do this, I got to... And then you start trying to focus on so many things all at one time, you get overwhelmed by it and realize, uh-oh, something's wrong, I, I, can't, I can't handle this. And then you go into this form of recession or, or stepping back and kind of shutting everything up like oh no it's just too it's too much i can't handle this and it, and it is it's too much to handle all at one time you got to be able to keep focused in that peace that god's given you and then each each thing one at a time be able to follow with the leading of the holy ghost what's the priority at that point in time god what am i supposed to be doing right now dedicate your thought to that dedicate your time to that until he moves you on to something else Shut that. I, I call it shutting out noise because it's just it's nonstop noise, 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 noise. I'm in the construction industry and I, I manage job sites. And uh, there's times that I've got a hundred people on my job site that you've got to manage, and this is it's, it's a bit of a circus. And so you've got people coming in, you could be in the middle of one thing, and you've got another person, another person, another person, and you've got people coming in, which puts it into pretty much a literal perspective of what's going on in the mind of someone with anxiety. Yeah. And you get this nonstop coming from everywhere. And it's like, okay, you, you're waiting for a minute. I'll, I'll get to you when I can. You over there, okay, yours is the most important task that we've got to deal with right now. And you begin to prioritize and set things aside. You're only one person. You can only do so much. Don't overdo yourself to some extent that you know you're, you're going to get burnt out by. Realize what your own limits are. It's different for everybody. Some people can run it. Mock 10 all the time, and other people have to just take it, you know, bit by bit. And there's nothing wrong with any of those. You're who God made you to be. Just learn how to work with who you are, and God will work with that. And uh, so, work had sent this document out because they were talking about depression, anxiety, and other things, uh, kind of describing what they are. And so, we, from a management perspective, can help people on our crews or that work for the company help them have different mechanisms to cope with this and help work with them. So as a, as a supervisor, you spend more time in therapy than you do in actually building things because you get anything and everything coming from different people at you, stuff that you would never, ever expect to hear or have to deal with. And to save you the details, I won't go into it, but it, 
there's lots of times you can't help but just be like, someone walks out of the room and like, where did that come from? <laughs> Why am I the one who has to deal with this? But then you get other ones. There's a, there's a guy on my site there, and he just seemed off for a few days. And God said, I, I want you to go just talk to him. Because normally, I, you know, I try to keep business to business and try not to, you know, meddle with stuff that other people might be dealing with, unless they feel they want to come to talk to me about it. Most people are comfortable to do that. But he was, he was pretty new, and uh, I hadn't really had a chance to build much of a relationship with him. Anyway, I said, are you, are you all right? Like something seems, something seems like you're, you're having something, you're here, but you're not here. So anyway, and uh, the guy was just broke. Like he was broken to know, uh, to, to pretty high level. So he, uh, he was actually going to know my, my friend's been missing for a few days. They just found him. He committed suicide. So they had a really good opportunity to have a chat with him help him through that. He was, you know, feeling like he was responsible for it, which is kind of human nature to feel like you're the one that's, that is responsible for all of this. He's like, you know, I felt bad the last time I saw him. I didn't even, I didn't even, you know, say hi or whatever. He just walked by and I was like, whatever. So he's like, what if, what if he had something going on that day that if I actually had to talk to him, you know, I might've been able to help him through something. And I said, Hey, but that's not, that's not your, your deal. Said you, you wouldn't have known. You just he was your friend. Every day you walk by him, you chatted, you do stuff. And you don't, you don't expect to see that kind of behavior from him. Like I said, did you? Was he? He's like, no. It just seemed like everything was fine. Then I had a chance to calm down a little bit, and and uh, and we chatted. Like normally, you're supposed to be working. Don't get me wrong, but uh, there's a time and a place where there's things that are more important. So we were probably probably two and a half, three hours. We were chatting for a while, went back to talk about his, his upbringing, his family and his parents and stuff that he struggled with. And, and they had a really awesome opportunity to share the love of Jesus with that guy. And, uh, and, and he really appreciated it after the fact. But um, in, in dealing with all of that stuff, then I read, like, I go back to that letter the work sent out with effects. It was, it was titled Effects of Anxiety. And it went down through a whole list of different things that you can expect from people that are struggling with anxiety. And then I got something downloaded in my spirit. I want to, I want to read it to you because it's something, normally I don't write stuff down. It's uh, I'm the kind of person that God says something or I hear something, okay, yeah, that's cool. And then I go on and probably should write it down more. Because a lot of times I'm like, what was that again? It was really good, but it's gone. So, (laughs) so this particular time I, uh, I wrote this down. Give me a second to find it here. So that was, that was called, I guess it was the impact of anxiety. Did you, and then I got this in my experience, the impact of knowing Jesus. So again, kind of word for word went point form down through this list of, you know, expressions that come from anxiety. And he said, and Jesus said, this, this is the impact of knowing Jesus, realizing that what he did for you changes everything, past, present, and future. What you did in the past or what was done to you in the past no longer defines you. Christ's love infiltrates and removes all fear of death, rejection, insecurity, depression, anxiety, and so much more. When you choose to let go of the past and allow the perfection of all that Jesus is to take root in you. Knowing Jesus keeps you calm in the middle of the craziest of times and lets you know inside that this too will pass and gives you an assurance that you will win. And then it talked about, again, in this anxiety letter, it talked about childhood and how most depression and anxiety is rooted back to a, someone's childhood. So again, and this says, although a bad childhood does produce challenging things to overcome as an adult, 
Focusing more on who you are in Christ than who you were as a broken child allows for a mindset change that promotes the life-changing transformation to the best life you could ever imagine. And it's something that just, it, just like that. And I'm not much of a person for writing stuff down again. And so just, he said, and I was like, wow, that's so good. It just, it just like answers that document, point form, right down the list of life without Jesus. Doesn't mean that when you have Jesus in your life, you can't still struggle with anxiety and depression because there's still people that are in the body of Christ that do. But I believe that in allowing that root of love to be the strongest and the biggest root in your life takes out that fear, takes out all thoughts that something's going to not work out or that you're not good enough, you're not going to make it. All these thoughts of fear that most of us have thrown at us every day in one form or another. And it allows you to say, God loves me. And I've learned to trust him that his word is true. And I know he never fails. So if he never fails, I can't fail. I don't need to understand the whole picture. And uh, I think it was in Proverbs, again, we, uh, we were talking about it on Sunday. It says that um, in all of your ways to acknowledge the Lord, and he will direct your steps. Your steps. He didn't say he's going to highlight the whole plan for you. He didn't put it all out. He didn't say, here's point A, here's point B, here's the end destination, here's everything else in between, and, and uh, life's going to be peachy. <laughs> he said, in this life, you'll have tribulation. You'll have trials. Um, and again, we talk. Yeah, yeah. You get, uh, you know, tossed around for a couple weeks, and you got no food. You finally get a little bite to eat, crash your ship on land, and then you get bit by a snake, and then you get a whole bunch of people that are asking you to go pray for them then. It's just like, <laughs> you can imagine Paul's probably like, oh, when, when is it going to be done, Lord? Like, is, there, <laughs> is there a time for a break here or No. Um, but anyway, it's a good thing we had that guy there as a good test pilot to uh, what grace is able to do in our lives. So you could see somebody that had to step every single moment or every single day from one thing to the next thing to the next thing to the next thing so that you could see that you can still have peace in the middle of craziness. Paul had peace in the middle of craziness. He said, I'm content whether I got a lot, whether I got a little. He said, it's, it's nothing because I know that I'm here for, for your sakes. He said, I'd rather go be with the Lord. He said, but it's more important for you guys that I stay here. <laughs> I'm kind of done with all the stuff happening, but you know, because, because I, got, I got to love you guys and show you that there's still more to this before I go, then I'm going to stick around for a little longer. But we've all got a mandate. We've all got a mission from God. Uh, everyone's is different. And uh, don't, don't try to be somebody else. Don't try to act their mandate out. Just live your own. Yeah. <laughs> he made it, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, again, God doesn't show you everything. He said, okay, you'll go to Rome. You'll get there in handcuffs. <laughs> yeah, don't think that uh, because things don't seem to be going well, they're not going to end up well. That's <clears> right. Yeah, that's right. So I think we'll we'll wrap up there. I think no, not yet. <laughs> hmm. Let's see. We'll pull up one more scripture then here, just so we have something else to close on. Genesis twenty six. 
we're going to go look at a guy real quick that uh, had a situation facing him that, uh, you know, common sense would have said one thing, but God says another. And uh, he learned to live by what God said, not by what he thought. Verse 1. So it's talking about Isaac, and uh, it says, And there was a famine in the land, beside the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went unto Abimelech, king of the Philistines, unto Gerar. And the Lord appeared unto him, and said, Go not down into Egypt, dwell in the land, and I will, uh, dwell in the land that I shall tell you of. Stay in this land, and I will be with you. I will bless you. For unto you and unto your seed will I give all these countries, and I will perform the oath which I swore unto your father Abraham. I will make your seed to multiply as the stars of the heaven. I will give unto you the seed of all these countries, and in thy seed will all the nations of the earth be blessed. That's us there. That's, that's you know, we're all the nations of the earth. Unless you're Jewish, then, you know. <laughs> then you were there from the beginning, so. Hmm. And he goes down talking, and this little side topic there goes down talking about how he, uh, he lied to them as well, saying that his wife was his sister. He learned that from, <laughs> from his dad. <laughs> Anytime he goes somewhere is new, uh, you know, lie to them. <laughs> tell, them <laughs> tell them that your wife's your sister, and then you won't get killed. Anyway, uh, that must have been, uh, you know, one of those passing over of manhood things that they did, you know, when the kid was 13 or something. <laughs> so... Anyways, it goes down to talking about uh, how eventually they they found out that Isaac was, uh, it says here, Isaac was sporting with Rebekah, his wife, and Abimelech called Isaac and said, uh, you, you lied to me, and talks about that. And so he told everyone in the play saying, don't touch this man, because he's, uh, he's blessed to God, and you don't, want to, uh, you don't want to get messed in with that. Anyways, so there's a, don't forget, there's a famine in the land. It says, then Isaac sowed in that land... And received in the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. So in the middle of a famine, in the middle of a time when you shouldn't sow, in the middle of the time you're better off holding on to your seed until there's a you know a more opportune moment in uh, in time to to plant to make sure you don't just cast your seed away to nothing. God said, "No, sow your seed." And when it doesn't make sense, you still got to learn to follow after what God's saying. Nowhere in the Bible does it say only if it makes sense, listen to God. And very, 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 very rarely does it make sense when God says to do something. And uh, he does that on purpose because when it makes sense to us, you don't need to rely and trust on him. Um, so anyways, yeah, live life in peace. Don't let, don't let your, your peace be disturbed. Uh, We've got, uh, we got an awesome God that, again, loves us. We keep our minds continually on him. And you'll have you'll have perfect peace. We don't want to we don't want to live life any other way. It's no fun, no fun at all. So uh, bless you guys. Love you all. Thank you so much for coming out tonight and uh, and listening. And uh, yeah, well, thank you. We hope this message has encouraged you in your relationship with the Lord. For more information and ministry resources, we invite you to visit our website at www.newcovenantchurch.ca. We look forward to you joining us next time as we continue to live victoriously.